Welcome to Signs of the Times, a look at recent world events from around our kitchen table. British journalist Jonathan Steele, writing for the UK Guardian, wrote, In the United States, more people have guns than passports. Tonight on the Signs of the Times podcast, we have two special reports prepared by Ryan from Australia. Well, that uh, quote is quite interesting, Henry, because um, David Hicks, uh, the um, major Australian figure who is currently in Guantanamo Bay under the usual trumped-up U.S. crimes, is mentioned to his lawyer that uh, his mother never formally applied for Australian citizenship and thus there is a possible legal avenue for uh, him to take the the same route of escape that several other British terror suspects have taken given that the uh, the British government seems to apply a little more force in uh, protecting its citizens from the uh, war crimes or um, violations of the Geneva Convention that are currently occurring in Guantanamo Bay. And the Australian Foreign Minister had some interesting things to say about this. He will apparently be dodging justice if he gets out of Guantanamo Bay via British citizenship, says uh, Foreign Minister Alexander Downer. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, I feel very reassured that I have a man of such uh, integrity who'd be willing to stand behind me as an Australian citizen if the uh, US drops me into some kind of uh, prison camp. And what exactly is David Hicks accused of, uh, Ryan? He was uh, arrested by American forces in Afghanistan for training, allegedly with uh, al-Qaeda terrorists. However, there has been little uh, solid evidence beyond a few photographs uh, to prove that he was in any way planning or conspiring any kind of terrorist attack against uh, either Australians uh, or uh, US or British uh, citizens. Uh, There was talk on the internet that he apparently was training uh, via some Muslim connections in order to uh, help the rebels in Chechnya in their struggle against... uh, the Russians. Uh, He pled not guilty before a US military commission last year to conspiracy uh, aiding the enemy and attempted murder. However, a trial date has yet to be set for him to answer these charges. Okay, so the the real, the fundamental problem really, and we have to go back to the origins of Al-Qaeda here, is that uh, the people that the US government claims to be this international network of, of Islamic terrorists are have their origins uh, back in Afghanistan and um, really in, in what it's known today as the Taliban back in the, in the mid 70s mid to late 70s and early 80s uh, it was a group of a very small group of fundamentalist Islamic uh, kind of clerics I suppose would have been known or are known as um, who were employed essentially by the CIA to fight against the Russians, who the CIA and the American government of the time had enticed into uh, Afghanistan by, by 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 a U.S. presence in Afghanistan, and they then um, you know armed and financed these um, Taliban essentially uh, with billions of dollars of uh, of American taxpayers' money 
um, supply them with arms and intelligence and uh, training, etc. So the CIA formed their own mercenary army uh, made up of these uh, fundamentalist uh, Islamic clerics who uh, and, and their supporters uh, to to fight their essentially their their guerrilla wars for. Uh, f- for, for the American interest around around the globe, starting in Afghanistan and then moving on into in later years into uh, Bosnia and into Chechnya. So the idea of this guy is being accused of fighting in in Chechnya uh, against the Russians. Um, really, I mean, if you want to go right back to the to the, the people who are responsible for this, you have to say that the responsibility lies with the CIA. So, but then that's nothing new because as we've seen uh, uh, through many different reports and our own research. The really the global uh, terror network has been, as we're saying, has been funded and set up by by CIA and Israeli uh, intelligence agencies. And uh, there's a, a movement in Australia um, led by David Hicks' father that uh, claims that all the charges against him are pretty much poppycock, and uh, he is being held as a political prisoner uh, in order to give the US some kind of legitimacy in their... Uh, in their war on terror. War on terror, yes. Yeah, but because, of course, to convince the the world, the American public and the world public that the, that the terrorist, Islamic terrorist threat is real, they have to have, you know, some some bodies in, in prisons and some people up in court and some people accused of, of carrying out this terrorism because they can't, they can't very well claim uh, that there is a worldwide Islamic terrorist threat if there's no one kind of to, to, to take that responsibility so I mean really the idea is while it might seem amazing or um, fantastic to, to a lot of people um, the, the simple truth is that these people are being used essentially as patsies um, to as you say to justify the or to, to create the the reality of, of an Islamic terrorist threat and the interesting thing about it is that um, in a news story just this week the uh, the US um, courts have or the U.S. government. There's not much difference these days between the U.S. government and the U.S. Supreme Courts. Um, they have they have um, denied uh, Venezuela's um, request for convicted terrorist bomber uh, Cariles. Um, they have denied um, Venezuela's request to have him extradited back to Venezuela to answer the charges uh, that he, the, the pretty conclusive charges that he, that he blew up a, a Cuban airliner in 1976. Um, now this guy, by anybody's estimation, is is a real terrorist, uh, and the fact, of course, is that he was also a CIA agent at the time. So what we have here is a. Um, a, a bomber of a of a Cuban airliner full of people uh, employed by the CIA who who's now ensconced in the in the US and the US government is refusing to to extradite him or pa- hand him over to Venezuela to answer these charges so we have to ask ourselves where you know obviously we have to ask ourselves what is the the real motivation of the Bush government here in terms of fighting a war on terror when they have this um this this 
verifiable terrorist and, and bomber of an airliner, um, and they're essentially protecting him. So, you know, I mean, there's a very obvious claim. It, that, that, that's really the problem here is that there's so there's such blatant double standards and and, and the evidence for um, the falsity of the entire war on terror as is being touted by the Bush regime is, is so completely and obviously false and, and verifiably false that it's amazing that, uh, that so many people um, uh, still do not get it, you know, do not see the, the, the reality of the situation. It's really getting to the point where... where people like us uh, who are writing on the signs of the times and writing articles about this and many other websites who are doing the same thing really must be getting exasperated with uh, with with this with the situation as it is because as we say there is so much evidence there it's 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 really black and white at this stage but still uh, the fog of of disbelief and of uh, of delusion seems to be hanging over so much of the world and so many people seem to either unable or unwilling to actually just accept facts and and that's something that we want to explore maybe in this week's podcast which is uh, the idea of why people um why the average citizens around the world uh, have such a hard time actually accepting the reality of the situation of course there's there's several possible answers to that question but there may be a fundamental answer as well uh, which we'll maybe get to a little later on well now that you put the topic on the table why don't we deal with it right away because it is a a rather important question looking at at Americans on that point uh, one of the things that's always struck me is a certain lack of curiosity on the part of many, many Americans of anything that goes on outside of the borders of their own country. As you say, it's as if the rest of the world doesn't exist. You look at American news and the reports that they have on American news about other countries are always from the point of view of how it affects America and anything that goes on in these countries that, that doesn't touch U.S. interests is ignored. And so how can a population be f- well-formed in anything if they, don't get, uh, if they don't get the data, the information that they need to be able to formulate a, an opinion? Yeah, well, it's, it's it's interesting and something that you know any any American listeners who haven't actually you know traveled that much or maybe maybe even haven't been out of of the U.S. They really need to know that from a from from the perspective of someone outside of the U.S. Um, the, the there really has been a one way flow of information over the over the over the decades in terms of uh, information about about the rest of the world and about other cultures and stuff. Uh, people in Europe for the past 20, 30, 40 years have all been receiving via radio and TV and, and, and um, advertising and, and publicity. Um, they've been receiving American, essentially American propaganda or information on American, about American TV shows, American radio shows, uh, generally information on American life, et cetera, et cetera. And there's been very little going, going back the ways, you know. And um, well, I read an interesting remark uh, many years ago about, it was an analysis of, ads and publicity around the world. I was saying that the difference between, say, the way Americans market their products and the way the Japanese would market their cars, for example. And I was saying that for many, many, many years, since the Second World War, in effect, what is being marketed when the United States markets its products abroad is the American way of life. 
is you buy this product and then you too will be able to be you know have access to the american way of life whereas for the japanese they were simply selling a car yeah and that's um you know obviously that's that we we, we assume and, and it's it's a reasonable assumption that, that that has been a deliberate strategy with the backing of the government but obviously mainly by the by the corporations within, within the US to uh, and it's been a form of it's been a, a very a slow process over the years but it's definitely been a, a, a tactic that the US government and the US uh, US corporations have used to essentially affect their their at that level anyway an economic domination of the globe because you know you export your uh, your propaganda about American way of life and on the back of that you export um, American businesses for example McDonald's and Burger King and Levi jeans etc etc and in this way the the American government was able to infiltrate uh, many markets around the world with their with American kind of you know products and uh, and, and garner yeah. uh, generate an awful lot of um, revenue from that and and as we say th- th- there has been very little uh, going back the ways, and obviously that's not a natural state of affairs because you would assume that if in, a, in an open market that there would be a lot of uh, flow back the ways where you would have um, uh, products from from other countries and, and advertising and information about those countries going back to America. But as we've seen, even up in, to the present day, with with the, with the in the inform in the so-called information age, when supposedly all of this information is available, so many Americans are completely unaware about about. Uh, you know about the, the the geography or the the the, <laughs> the position on the globe of other countries, let alone uh, products from other countries or, or aspects of cultures of other countries. And the link between, say, exporting of, of a culture and then trade is is well known, and, and this has uh, been talked about. In fact, a United States senator back in I think it was 1919 made the remark about exporting U.S. films abroad was saying, uh, you know, first we send over the films and trade will follow. So this is not something that's, that's haphazard or anything. This is a planned strategy on the on the part of politicians and, and business people in the United States, and it has been now for, you know, over 80 years. But is it the case that um, that other cultures and other countries did not did not engage in the same type of um, of economics, um, or is it that there was uh, a deliberate campaign of blocking of of, of these aspects of other cultures? Oh, obviously, the in the United States, things are blocked. They love to talk about the the market and allowing the market and this and that. But any country that is gone in to try to trade with the United States finds out very, very quickly that the United States is extremely protectionist. Last week, uh, Lynn from from Canada was talking about the softwood trade issue, and Canadians are very, very aware and sensitive to this issue because the United States uses every means in its power to to block a lot of uh, Canadian materials coming into the country. Uh, We look at using the the mad cow disease to prevent uh, Canadian beef. There's the softwood uh, lumber that we've talked about. And indeed, uh, also the tariffs under the Australian-US uh, free trade agreement, which uh, block um, uh, the full economic benefits of uh, the export of Australian beef and sugar to the US for a number of years, uh, giving the uh, US producers a clear economic advantage. And then at the same time, within the United States, 
there's this patriotic feeling that says we need to buy American. And although this is going on on one level uh, as a kind of propaganda campaign among the people, at the same time, more and more and more of the products are being made elsewhere than in the United States, but they're coming from countries like China. But then when China recently tried to, to purchase an oil company in the United States, there was an uproar, and uh, the the Chinese bid was refused. But if the United States goes into any country and, and those countries try to prevent the an American from purchasing a, a company in another country, then the United States gets on its high horse and, and gets upset and then starts talking about uh, free trade and, and freedom of capital to circulate and all that. So how does all of that tie in to uh, the current st- status? I mean, we just want to bring it back to, to, to the susceptibility of, of particularly of Americans to to the, the simplistic black and white uh, propaganda that is being uh, forced on them at the minute and has over the past few years about the about the war on terror and then the the so-called clash of civilizations where Americans seem so so willing to accept um very simplistic uh, notions of of good and evil and and right and wrong and uh, I mean the the rhetoric coming out of Bush's mouth has just been nauseating and and and, and you know it not it doesn't just border on the ridiculous; it goes well beyond the ridiculous. But no one seems to call him on it. No one seems, and we wonder uh, if, if you know, no, no one in the press is actually saying uh, Bush is you know full of crap. Uh, but we wonder are ordinary Americans thinking that ordinary Americans, um, you know, listening to that kind of stuff and just falling over laughing as they should be. It's hard to generalize. But there is a class structure in the United States, and people from the 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 rich, the elite, the upper class, uh, they do receive an education that that talks to them about the rest of the world. They may go over and do studies in in the rest of the world. They're encouraged to go off and travel a bit because they're the ones who will later be running the country, and they de- do need to know something about the rest of the world. It's when you get below that. Uh, that the difficulties come, uh, and I think there are, there are many different reasons that, that work into it on different levels. Uh, the education system and the public education system for most people is absolutely atrocious. Uh, another thing is that many, many people can't afford to travel in doing some research for this. Uh, I was reading a, a website that was talking about trying to establish what percentage of Americans had passports, and there was some discussion on it, stretching back over several years uh, over Americans' passports travel, how many Americans travel, and there were several uh, entries in the discussion from people who said, you know, geez, you know, we'd really love to travel, but uh, say, I've had one week of paid vacation in my whole life, or, you know, it's well-known in the rest of the world that uh, Americans have ridiculously low amounts of paid vacation every year uh, with the economic climate as it is now where people are really living hand-to-mouth and week-to-week waiting for the paychecks and where getting sick can put them into bankruptcy. Uh, people don't have the the money to, to travel at least to places like uh, you know Europe or Asia 
people were saying that they were able to travel either into Canada or to Mexico because they could drive, and so it was cheaper. With rising oil costs, that's of course is going to be be limited as well. Um, and then there's just as you were mentioning earlier, the socialization, the idea that everything there is is in the United States. In the United States, there are mountains, there's deserts, there's oceans, there's uh, you know amber waves of grain and deserts, and and so why why do we need to go somewhere else? We have it all here. When you think about that comment a bit, you see how limited it is because it's reducing the rest of the world to some sort of a landscape and the way people live, uh, what people do uh, is is of no interest to them, which gets back to my comment earlier about the lack of curiosity. Uh, there was another comment that I I read by a man who lives in West Texas. And he was saying how fed up he was hearing people talk about, uh, you know, Americans not traveling and not being interested in other cultures. And he said he could drive 800 miles to the east and he'd still be in Texas, but there'd be a different climate and there'd be a different culture. Now, <laughs> what what kind of cultural differences are there really between eastern Texas and, and western Texas? When Shapes you of cowboy hats, maybe? I don't know. When you compare it. Um, you, you only get um, um, lethal injection instead of gassing for your death penalty. <laughs> yeah. So you know, it's, it's the spectrum of difference and variety that makes this world becomes completely limited to – such a, a, a small range, and it's the same thing we see in American politics, where you have the, the Republicans and you have the Democrats. And if you were to take those two political parties and put them in a European country or even put them in Canada, uh, you'd see that that there's no difference, that, that they're the same. And so the, the political choice is really, really limited – but they've been so conditioned that they think that within this binary choice between Republicans and Democrats, they're free. And, and it seems to be the same thing with culture. Well, I can go to East Texas and I can see that it's different from West Texas and I've expanded my mind. Hmm. But you, it also brings up the idea of of there being or that, or that there should be an, an innate um, curiosity within within people. Yeah. That. that that I mean, certainly most Americans are aware that there is a, a world, a big world out there, and you know, lots of different people with uh, different languages and different cultures. Um, but why? I mean, is it, does it come down to the idea that there are just certain, maybe two different types of of people in a way, or that there are some people who just uh, naturally um, reject the idea that America has everything, you know, because it's it's pretty plain to them when they look at a, at a map that or look at look at you know the limited tv even that that there are some serious differences between the rest of the world and america and that they would they're interested in exploring those whereas other people um i suppose it might come down to a fundamental response to the idea of difference mm-hmm. and that some people are um are you but know excited by it, excited yeah. or attracted by by differences and want to kind of explore those and, and expand their own yeah. understanding and other people who are who are whose response is really one of fear um, mm-hmm. Where they're afraid of anything that's different, uh, or maybe they've been told that 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 anything different is is something to be to be afraid of. 
but it, it, it it's it's a kind of a thorny issue of, of whether it's been socialized into most people or whether it's um whether it's naturally in uh, people there's there's difference between different types of people or maybe it's a mixture of both no i i, I think having lived the majority of my life in america uh, there is definitely a, a, a certain xenophobia that's rather prevalent, and it's also kind of hard for me to actually put my finger on on the exact cause of it. Certainly, I think that the fact that the educational system is in in you know there have been numerous. Uh, people who have examined you know the education the educational systems of various countries including the US and inevitably every study concludes that as time has progressed the american educational system has deteriorated to the point of absurdity just to give uh, a little example of of how powerful the 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 xenophobia and the propaganda can be in terms of relating to other countries uh you know, when I was in in high school, I I took a, took a French class, and of course, you learn about well, supposedly, you know, you learn about the culture, and and there was a great deal of of information about you know how the French people live, and you know the the structure of their society, and and what French people are are like, and you know how they live their lives, and and so I had a friend who happened to move to France, and so this person sent an email and and said that uh she was going into you know, had to had to go to market to to buy some food and even though i knew that you know in fact they don't use horse drawn carriages they actually have cars in france and you know that kind of thing the vision that i had in my head was of sort of like a medieval times and there were like dirt roads and that she was going to like an open air market and there were like all these people who were like selling you know fruits and vegetables and and like you know live chickens and and people were pushing like their little wheeled carts along and i mean i, I knew that that was just like totally like stupid no there's one of those up the road <laughs> <laughs> you know so this is just sort of a uh an example of you know even though i knew that this was not the way it was the, the first thing that comes to my mind is this totally backwards you know you know type of of society and and you know they don't have indoor plumbing and this is maybe 30 years ago, there was a thing that when you go to Europe, even to countries like France or Germany, if you're an American, you're supposed to bring your own toilet paper. Yeah. Because um, the toilet paper in Europe still had pieces of wood in it or something. Shrapna. <laughs> and, and, and so given that, you know, when, when, you know, when I learned history uh, in school and, you know, I had the opportunity to go to uh, better schools and... I mean, even even for example, the history that I learned was just so completely skewed, uh, so so pro-American and 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 xenophobic. Uh, and I had an experience like that because I was born in the states before fleeing when I was eighteen to go to Canada during the Vietnam years. And uh, one year when when I was in high school. I started the year in a private school, and I finished the year in a public school. And the history course that we were having in the private school dealt with issues, uh, things like uh, the Jim Crow laws, and trying to get some understanding on a, a deeper level than just facts and figures 
of what was going on and, and what were the forces that were shaping the, the country back in the early days. And then when I got into the public school, I was in a history course, and it was all about dates. It was all about who the famous men were, when they were born, when they died, uh, what was the date of this battle, what was the date of that battle. And it was a very, very clear illustration uh, of the difference in level of education between, as I was saying earlier, the one class and the other. It's sort of easy to understand how when you're... Uh when the educational system is so awful that you know when you're not really educated about other cultures when you're not encouraged to expose yourself to other cultures in in terms of you know not just some words in a book and and the idea that the people who wrote the textbooks want you to have but the real idea and of course every time you're exposed to to such a culture for example in the french class i took it, it's almost like there's a, a focus on how much better america is and in in every way, and so it's it's very easy to see how this sort of um, fear of other cultures is is programmed into people. And then, of course, you have the the fact that in America, the you know, like you know, they they have they have less vacation. Well, you know, in in many European countries, the the you know, spending time with with your family and having having a life basically is it's it's a part of the culture. It's it's a you know a very long. Um, you know, there's a very long history. It seems to me that, whereas in Europe, for example, you might have uh, a focus on basically having a life, and and for example, as Henry said, in in Japan, you know, they're just buying a car. In America, you're buying, you know, this this ideal of of. It's going to make your life perfect. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so where there's, you know, and then, of course, you've got this guy in Texas who says, you know, he goes to West Texas and it's a different culture. So whereas you have this sort of dilution of, you know, the idea of, of culture, you also have kind of like this, you know, it's like the, they, the idea of like life is distilled down in America to having stuff. So what you're really saying is in the United States, freedom is equated with the, the freedom to choose between a Coke and a Pepsi. Yeah, basically, and and that everyone who 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 doesn't have something, their their sole focus in life is to have what their neighbor has, and when that's your primary concern, and when you know nothing of other cultures, you know, obviously, if you want stuff, you're going to support all these crazy economic policies, and you've been taught to be basically terrified, and you have all these preconceived notions, so you're 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 terrified of other cultures, you don't want to travel anywhere, everything you need is right there, and you're you're basically brainwashed into well, thinking you're happy. Well, this comes back to the the issue that Joe raised earlier about this fundamental difference. Is there yeah. a fundamental difference in people? Are there people who are curious, and are there people who are not? And is it more than just socialization? Does it come down to to genetics? Does it come down to who somebody is on a on a level of their soul? Yeah. Well, I mean, just. Getting back to the idea, I mean, to 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 be fair, uh, if that's possible, uh, to Americans, um, I mean, comparing compared to Europe, I mean, people in Europe have, by the very nature of 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 Europe and and the various countries uh, that that are there within a, a relatively small kind of piece of land, um, people in Europe who who grew up or born and grew up in Europe ha- are immediately exposed to uh, diversity uh, right on their borders uh, and, ma- and, and a lot of diversity um, in terms of language and culture and other people and dress etc etc 
Um, so there's a there's a complexity there um, that that people in Europe are immediately exposed to, uh, whereas in the US there's there isn't that complexity. Um, there is basically basically just the US and okay so the US shares a border with Canada but I mean you know in terms of um, complexity uh, i.e. culture and language there isn't much difference uh, from an American's point of view between America and, and Canada uh, okay they also most Americans have no idea that there are well, of course, yeah. several million French speaking people yeah. living just across the border but they also they also share a border with Mexico albeit a, a relatively small border but they know that there's another country there but they have these stereotypes about Mexicans as well and the thing is that Anybody that comes from to the U.S. from from Mexico or comes from uh, other other countries around the world is 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 coming there to speak English, to join the the great uh, kind of capitalist uh, game where they can be who they want to be and, and and be the best and and be the greatest and they can they can um, they can be president if they want they're told right so. Um, all of that. Once you cross into the U.S., uh, any diversity is immediately kind of diluted, uh, or it's it's people dil- dilute their own uh, diversity to this kind of general American culture that they're all very much aware of already because of the years of of, of exporting of um, of American culture. Let's say. And of course, it also ties into the fact that Europe uh, has a long history um, of of wars and of of, of exchange of, um, of 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 peoples from different countries. So, in in the in the education system in in, in European countries, you have uh, people are exposed and, and and they can't not be exposed to to the to the existence and the reality of other countries because at one stage or another, one country was either invaded or invaded in another country. So people are aware of this and aware of a shared kind of a history there, which. Um, Okay, the U.S. it was owned by, or uh, was uh, ruled by, by by Britain or by the U.K. by the by the United Kingdom uh, for 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 a number of years, but that was very short lived. Um, and the thing is, I suppose the, the the fundamental point here is that maybe the fundamental difference is that the uh, the U.S. has a very short history. It's almost like it gets it it gets to the round to the idea of. Um, that the U.S. was essentially an experiment. That you had, uh, you know, and this this gets into kind of deep into conspiracy theory again, or, or, or um, I don't know, you might even say it's generation-spanning kind of manipulations by a certain uh, clique or, or uh, power elite. But that uh, the U.S. back 200, 250 years ago was consciously chosen uh, by certain peoples uh, for what it has become today, uh, an experiment in extreme capitalism and uh, uh, aggression and belligerence and being the policeman of the world, etc. Everything that has come to pass, uh, particularly over the past um, you know, five, five years. Um, and the other uh, very important point, I think, about, um, about the US is the whole idea of patriotism. Because while there might be many Americans who are aware of um, of other cultures and uh, the the differences uh, between uh, the U.S. And, and and other countries and other peoples around the world, when it comes down to it, when when patriotism is shoved in their face, when the idea of it's either you're with us or against us, and that uh, we're we're spreading great American values around the world, and this is what uh, you know, this is what kids and and people in the US as children have been brought up with you know kissing the flag or standing up in in school and reciting the pledge the, of allegiance the, the pledge of allegiance and, and singing the national anthem every morning uh, obviously patriotism is a major factor here um, and it's deliberately done uh, in that way 
uh, with with a with with a view uh, to um, producing adults who will who will have this already ingrained in them, um, and and they're not aware of it. I mean, they think it's just part of who they are. It's that they're patriotic citizens. They've, they're 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 true Americans, and they're going to support their their country and and everything. That's right. And they're not necessarily. Um, uh, negative uh, ideas or ideals for for someone to hold, but the, what people have to look at is what what's really behind this whole idea of patriotism and what the government is doing in the name of patriotism. How, how that ideal of patriotism is being used by uh, the the uh, power elites? Yeah, and and they're 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 they're, they're manipulating a, a genuine um, essence or a genuine. Um, a feeling that people have within them, you know, for 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 their to, home, yeah, for their home, and and to and to, and to albeit um, in a misinformed way, they're, they're they're supporting this idea of 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 spreading freedom and democracy, etc. But I mean, it doesn't take much to realize that that's all just a complete manipulation, and and, and there's nothing behind it, nothing of any truth uh, behind behind that idea of spreading freedom and democracy. And for listeners who think that the idea that the United States is a social experiment carried out by by someone that started uh, 200, 250 years ago. If if you find that outlandish, we would encourage you to get the our new book on 9-11, 9-11, The Ultimate Truth, where we go and we show that, in fact, the roots of the 9-11 false flag operation stretch back many, many thousands of years into... The, the period when Judaism was established and all of the monotheistic religions. You can order the book 9-11, The Ultimate Truth, from the website of the publisher, Red Pill Press, www.redpillpress.com. To close this week's show, we'd just like to talk about the most recent fireballs that were seen in Florida this week. There's been uh, a couple of them in Florida in the in the last couple of weeks, and a friend of ours at Away with the Fairies has written a little song about it. Space rocks keep falling on my head. A song that may turn out to be prophetic in more ways than one. Well, thank you for joining us, and as always, if you'd like to read more on the topics we discussed today, you can go to our website at www.signs-of-the-times.org. So thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week. Brains. Fly.